blessed by our worship, aren't you? Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. It's great to see everyone out here on a lovely summer day, isn't it? I'll tell you, almost fall-like weather. And uh, we just want to welcome everyone here, if this is your first time or second time, but uh, haven't filled out a card yet. We certainly would appreciate that. We appreciate you being here. You certainly are welcome. And uh, God bless you. All right, well, there was this preacher, and uh, after the Sunday morning sermon, his car kind of broke down, and he managed on early Monday to get it to a garage, to a mechanic to get it fixed. And when he met the mechanic, he said, you know, I, I sure hope you'll take it easy on the cost. After all, I'm just a poor old preacher. And the mechanic said, yeah, I heard you preach yesterday. Sometimes there's a little too much truth there, isn't there? Truth can hurt, but truth can be a good thing also. Well, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about wisdom. I want to talk about wisdom. And so I've entitled the message this morning, Do You Have Wisdom? Do You Have Wisdom? Lord, I just uh, thank you for already what's transpired. I thank you for the buglers. I thank you for campus ambassadors. And I ask for an extra dose of blessing this year on them that this would be their best year ever, being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the liberating news of Jesus Christ. May your hand be upon them, and may you use them and the other campus ministries to reach a very dark place for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now this morning, we come to your word, Lord. It's going to be an important word. It's a word that probably is so necessary for the hour that we live in here in America. I ask... Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, that you would come even in a more powerful way, that you would manifest yourself, that you would give us a spirit of expectancy. Every person that's here was drawn by you, Lord God, and you have something for them. Now I ask that they would open their hearts up to you, they would open their ears up to you, and again, expect, just expect from you. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. We don't need a word from man. We don't need man's wisdom this morning, we're going to see. We need your wisdom. And so I'm thanking you for what you're going to do now. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure no one here could identify with that. I'm sure actually some of us could identify with that, and you know who you are, right? In fact, I've come to the conclusion, especially in the last five years of just being a pastor and just being in this country, that the great need of the hour is wisdom. The great need of America, and sadly even Jesus' church, is that we need just a strong dose of wisdom. It has been estimated that over 90%, 90% of the problems that we experience are due to a lack of wisdom. In other words, we're making bad decisions. That's an incredible figure. Over 90% of the problems that we're just facing right now are due to a lack of wisdom, just bad decisions. And one of the great errors, especially in America, that we make is that we equate knowledge and wisdom as if they're the same. They are not the same. They are very different. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. For example, let me just give you an example. Skip put up the picture. There you see a tomato. 
Now, some of you may not know, I actually didn't know this, but a tomato is classified as a fruit. That is knowledge. However, most people know that you do not put a tomato in a fruit salad. That's wisdom. That's wisdom, right? See, wisdom understands that the early bird may get the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. Some of you need to think about that. You'll catch on. You'll catch on. All right. We'll we'll try another one. Or it's wisdom to borrow money from a pessimist because they don't expect to get the money back. See, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. The question is, do you have wisdom? Do you really have wisdom? In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote these powerful words, these penetrating words in James chapter 1 and verse 5. He said, if any of you, lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Have you ever just asked God for wisdom? Have you ever just asked him for wisdom? I mean, this is a challenge. He is challenging us to ask him for wisdom. Skip, can you put up the picture? King Solomon. King Solomon lived three millennia ago. And he has the distinction of being the wisest man to ever live. Do you realize, though, that King Solomon wasn't always wise? He didn't, in fact, always have wisdom. We are told this in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings in chapter 3. Skip, put it up. It says this, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. Can you imagine that? 1,000 cattle slaughtered. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Can you imagine God appearing to you now? And he's saying, I'll give you whatever you want. Solomon replied, you showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now the Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great. At that time, by the way, it was the greatest of the nations, and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon that he asked for wisdom. Now watch this. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me... See, now here's an interesting point. This is, and, and, and just remember this. If you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Now, you know what? A lot of people don't know. When Solomon prayed this prayer, he could have been as young as 12 years old. Did you know that when he took the throne? As young as 12? Could have been 14, could have been 16. Probably, certainly no 
older than the age of 20. So when Solomon said, I'm like a little child, he wasn't kidding around. He was like a little child. And he asked the smartest thing. He said, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. And the truth is, that's what most of us need right now. My guess is every single one of us is facing a situation. And we don't know what to do. We need wisdom. King Solomon writes these life-giving words in Proverbs chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Listen to this now. Blessed is the man, now watch this, who finds wisdom. The man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. There is nothing more important, we're being told in the word of God, than to possess wisdom. And the obvious question is, why is wisdom so valuable? Well, first you have to understand what it is. And we see a great example again in 1 Kings in chapter 3. The scenario is this. We just saw Solomon takes the throne, maybe 12, maybe 14, maybe 16, maybe as old as 20. But when you're the king, and by the way, at that time, Israel was the most powerful nation on planet Earth. So you're going to face some problems. And immediately, Solomon is faced with a problem. The problem is this. There were two prostitutes. And these two prostitutes, they lived together. And within a span of three days, they each had a child, a baby. Now, one night, one of the prostitutes rolls over on her baby, and she kills the baby. I guess there were no baby bassinets in those days. And so what this prostitute does is she gets up in the middle of the night. Can you imagine this? She takes her dead baby. She goes over to the other prostitute. I assume they're friends. And she puts the dead baby next to her and takes her living baby and begins to sleep with the living baby. Now, when the other prostitute wakes up in the morning and she looks at her dead baby, she freaks out. That's in the Hebrew. Trust me. You know, and then she takes a closer look at that baby. And only as a mother could do, she recognizes, that's not my baby. That is not my baby. And she looks over at the other prostitute, and she realizes that that prostitute has her baby. What would you do? Oh, an incredible conflict ensues. And they're not able to resolve it. So you know what they do? They go to the king of Israel, and they say, you settle the deal. What would you do? Well, you know, if that problem occurred today, it would be a no-brainer. You would simply have a DNA test of the two prostitutes. You would have a DNA test of the living baby. And you'd be able to determine within hours who is the real mother. But 3,000 years ago, they didn't even know what DNA was. So what is Solomon going to do? Solomon needs wisdom. In fact, Solomon was given wisdom by God. Now watch this. You know what that means? It means that he was given an understanding about how life works. Wouldn't you love that? Wisdom is being given an understanding about how life works. In this case, God gave Solomon wisdom about a mother. And Solomon learned from God supernaturally through wisdom that mothers instinctively, God placed it within them, love their children, love their little babies, and they're going to protect protect those little cubs. You know, I kind of learned this firsthand. Uh, Skip, can you put up the picture? There's my lovely wife, Susan. Now, if you haven't met her, somehow you escaped her, but (laughs) she's usually at the front door and she will find you. 
Now, according to Dr. John Trent, there are four basic personality types. You'll see how this fits in. Just, just follow me for a moment. Skip, put up the picture. Four basic personality types. Four animals. Now, you're going to be some characteristics probably of all the animals, but there's going to be one that really you identify with. For example, perhaps you are the lion. Then that means that you are a leader. And generally, you are strong-willed. You know who you are. You're a visionary type, and you tend to be independent. Those are the lions. Now, if you're a beaver, you tend to be a background kind of person. You don't like the limelight. You are really into details. You're analytical, and you're generally, I didn't say always, but you're generally very organized. Now, if you're a retriever, a golden retriever, you generally make a great second. You are just a wonderful team player. Everybody wants to have you. You tend to be calm. You tend to be easygoing. And at times, you are just loyal almost to a fault. Now, if you are an otter type, that means that you are going to be more than likely you'll be very good in sales. If you are an otter, you should just definitely be in sales. You tend to be outgoing. You tend to be talkative. You tend to be energetic. Most of the time, you are the life of the party. Now, if you haven't guessed it, my wife Susan, she is an otter. And that's why there's never a dull moment in the Ray family. If you come there, it will be very interesting and very exciting. However, When we had children, I learned something new about Susan. Someone made the mistake of attacking one of our children once. And she went from being a cute little otter. Skip, can you put up the picture to this? (laughs) Most of you women can probably identify with that. Now, let me just give you some wisdom here. Wisdom is this. You tread very, very carefully with a mother's children. If you've got any wisdom at all, you tread very carefully with a mother's children. That was for free. So, armed with this understanding about women and about mothers, Solomon says to one of his guards, go get me a machete. And so the guard brings a machete. And he said, now I'm going to cut this baby, this living baby in two, and each of you prostitutes will get half the baby. Seems pretty smart. Now watch what happens. This is beautiful. Love it. Just love it. And we're told this. Then the woman, the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live. For she is his mother. When all of Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom that God had given him for rendering justice. And that is a happy ending, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you something. This is why it says in 1 Timothy in chapter 2, Paul writes, pray. Pray for your leaders. Why? Because everybody wins when you have a wise leader. But you say, well, I don't like Donald Trump. I think he's an arrogant, you know what? Doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter whether you voted for him. You say, I don't like Como, our governor. Doesn't matter. See, if we're smart, you pray for your leaders. You say, well, what do I pray for? You pray that they have wisdom. Pray that they have wisdom. 
Pray that they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Pray that they have humility. Pray that they are merciful. Pray that, that they are people of justice. Do You see, everybody wins when you have a Solomon on the throne. Everybody wins. Now, you know, we had a happy ending. Now I want to show you something that's actually truly sad. And it's found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11. We continue in Solomon's life. Now listen to this, starting at verse 1. It says this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, now watch this, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Now that's wisdom. In fact, we are told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15, this. Don't team up. Don't be yoked with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? So very clearly, God has said, wisdom has said, do not be yoked with a non-believer. Yet, all the time, we have, I see, believing children, college-age kids, and what do they do? They begin to date a non-Christian, missionary dating. How do you think that works out? How do you think missionary dating works out? Supposedly, the Christian is to pull up the non-Christian. How many think that really happens most of the time? I'll tell you what happens most of the time. The non-Christian pulls down the Christian and causes them to become worldly. I have seen believers who claim to be believers, who claim to even be mature believers, and they'll marry a non-believer. And you know what they marry? They marry hell. They marry hell, literally. And maybe some of you are sitting here right now and you've married hell. You see, it pays to have wisdom. Watch this now. It says this. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. See, Solomon thought he knew better than God as he got older. As he aged, less humility, he thought he knew better than God. That's not much wisdom. And then watch this. We are told this. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Now, how wise is that? 700 wives. Do you, th- no, do you honestly think this guy ever had any peace in his home? 700 wives. And I mean, 700 mother-in-laws. I mean, you, you can't be stupider than that. But... See, you don't realize how evil Solomon was. You know why he married those 700 women? He could have just made them concubines. You know why he did it? Because he didn't trust God. See, notice he married the Pharaoh's daughter. He married the king of Moab's daughter. You know why he was doing that? Because, see, he was trying to secure peace in his own way. See, if I marry the Pharaoh's daughter, guess what? Pharaoh is not going to attack me. If I marry the daughter of the king of Moab, then Moab is not going to attack me. And so what Solomon was trying to do was to secure peace his own way. He wasn't trusting God. Now watch this. Watch this. And, in fact, they did turn his heart away from God. What a shock. 
In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. Now that is a tragic ending. Solomon finishes poorly. In fact, he is no different than Israel's first king, King Saul. You know, I have seen, whether it's Saul or a lot of Christians, they start out like a rocket. Boom, zoom, there they go. They're off to the races by lap number two. They are sucking wind. And they don't even finish the race. And I want you to know, King Saul did not finish the race. Solomon did not finish the race in his old age. And we know where Saul ended up in hell, separated from God. This is not a small point. You see, one of the problems is you can have wisdom. No, no, you can have wisdom. But if you don't have the faith, the trust, which Solomon didn't, and the courage, then you won't walk it out. And you're still going to be stupid. So you not only need wisdom, and I'm going to talk about this in the challenge, but we also need trust. I need to trust that wisdom, and I need the courage, and you need the courage to carry it out. In conclusion, I want to just share with you one of my favorite stories that distinguishes worldly wisdom from godly wisdom. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king covered his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, and its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man refused. The old man said, he's not a horse to me. My horse is a friend. How can you sell a friend? The man was poor and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. Now you are so poor. It would have been better if you had sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone and you have been cursed. With misfortune, the old man responded, don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested, don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but this doesn't require great philosophy. The simple fact is your horse is gone and you are cursed. The old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest, I don't know. Whether it be a blessing or a curse, I cannot say. All we have here is a fragment. What can come next? Who can say? The people of the village laughed. They thought the old man was crazy. They always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and he would have lived off the money. But instead, now he's just a poor woodcutter. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He hadn't run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he brought with him a dozen wild horses. Once again, the people gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, Old man, old man, you were right and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. 
Then one man responded, the old man responded, once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him. But don't judge. How do you know if this really is a blessing or a curse? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. Can you judge, in fact, the whole book? Life is so vast, yet you judge all of life with one page. All you have here is a fragment. Don't say that this is a blessing. No one, in fact, knows. I am content with what I know. I am not perturbed with what I don't. Maybe the old man is right, they said to one another, but deep down they knew that he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be broken and trained and sold for so much money. Now the old man had a son, an only son. The young man began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses, and he broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and they cast their judgment. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son's legs have now been broken. Now you in your own age have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. Again, the old man spoke. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son's legs are broken. Who knows whether it's a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We only have a fragment. Life, you see, it does come in fragments. It so happened a few weeks later, the country engaged in a war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because, you see, he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was little chance that they would return. The enemy was strong, and the war certainly would be a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. But you see, our sons, they are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You're always drawing conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war, and mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. Now, I don't know. I don't know where this woodcutter, this old woodcutter got his wisdom, but I suspect he got it from another woodcutter, another woodcutter who lived several millennia ago. And it was this woodcutter, this wise carpenter who said this, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, that's wisdom. Can you imagine if you had the trust, if I had the trust and the courage just to carry that one piece of wisdom out, to just live for today? Do you realize that God will never give you or me grace for yesterday? Yesterday's gone. It's covered under the blood of Christ if you're a child of God. He will not give you grace for tomorrow either because tomorrow hasn't come and you're not guaranteed tomorrow and neither am I. You see, he only gives us enough grace for today. And that's why he says the smart person 
focuses on today. Do you realize we miss enjoying life because of that one simple piece of wisdom? God, Jesus says, live today. Live it to the fullest. Be fully present and trust that I will be there with you. And my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in your weakness and in my weakness. The challenge is this, this morning. You know, I I am just broken. I'll be honest, as a pastor, 59 years old, broken at what I see happening in people's lives. And I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about believers and just the incredibly bad decisions that are being made, the families that are being ripped apart because of bad decisions, a lack of wisdom. And so the Holy Spirit, you know, has just laid it on my heart that starting in the fall, we are going to go through and look at the book of Proverbs. And so I'm going to challenge you to start reading one chapter of Proverbs a week. One chapter a week. We are going to study wisdom. And I guarantee you, if you hang in there, you will begin to make decisions, wise decisions that will bring you and your family and the people around you life rather than death. Father, I just pray that we will really take seriously the challenge of the book of wisdom. You want your people to be victorious. You want us to live in victory and not defeat. You beg us, you plead with us. We see in Proverbs, oh, come, listen to me. Wisdom begs, I call you out. That you would come to me and listen and drink in wisdom and live. I pray as we sing this last song, you'll be speaking to us, Holy Spirit. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. I'll tell you, there's nothing like the blood, huh? To bring cleansing. So we don't have to live in guilt and whatnot. By the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you haven't experienced just the freedom that he gives and the wisdom that he can give you, please, we'll be up here after the service and we would just love to talk with you and we would love to pray with you. Um, Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And I'm going to ask now that he's going to give you a desire and a passion for wisdom so that you can live victoriously as well as the family and people around you. God bless you. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. 
We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.